Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael. I'm your host, and I am coming at you from Missouri rather than Arizona right now. Though family and I are back home visiting family, uh, and I am uh, I'm spending all my free time trying to get a muskie on the fly rod. It's proven to be difficult. I'm not quite sure I'm going to pull this one off, but I'm going to keep trying every free moment I've got. Uh, at least another week till we're back in Arizona. And uh, I apologize if the uh, the recording quality isn't up to our normal standards because I'm doing this from my phone today. Um, I have got an unusual episode for you today on field herping. And if you are a normal human being, uh, you probably don't know what that is. Uh, but let's see. Herping is short for herpetology, and it, it is the act of looking for and finding and enjoying reptiles and amphibians in the field. This is an endeavor that has taken me all over our country. Uh, it brought me to Arizona uh, the first time I came out to visit, and it's taken me to the jungles of Central and South America, all over Mexico. And I'll tell you what, some of the, the most interesting adventures I've ever been on and some of the most beautiful places I've ever been uh, have been in pursuit of, of these fantastic uh, varied species of, of reptiles and amphibians. Might sound weird, but it's not, I promise. You know, people hike, people camp, people fish, people hunt, people bird watch, and people herp. It's a fantastic endeavor. These animals are amazing, come in all different forms and varieties, and, you know, it's it's... It's it just never gets old. So I, I hope that you're you're curious about this. I hope you enjoy this podcast and learn about this. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And I'm recording today with, with a couple friends of mine that are, are above and beyond anything uh, or in any place I'll ever make it in the in the field herping community. They they've been going at this a long time. They're traveling all over the world all the time, chasing these these magnificent animals. And to be clear, this is not this is not to go out and catch them and eat them or catch them and keep them necessarily. This is just to go out and find them and, and have that adventure, have that pursuit, photograph them, keep a life list of species you've seen, and it just uh, yeah, it's a gift that just keeps on giving. But before we get into that, let's talk about a couple quick announcements I have for you. Let's see. The first one, this is a repeat, but it's coming up and it's going to be a great time. So listen closely. It's the Arizona Antelope Fundraising Dinner. Uh, I'm sorry, forgive me. Arizona Antelope Federation Fundraising Dinner. This is on June 11th. Uh, begins at 4.30 p.m. at Embassy Suites. That's on 4400 South Rural Road in Tempe, Arizona. After two years of cancellations due to COVID, the Arizona Antelope Foundation is planning an event of gathering friends and supporters to celebrate our recent successes, raise funds, and continue improving pronghorn antelope populations and habitat across our state. You are not going to want to miss this. They've got all kinds of cool raffles with all kinds of cool prizes, including canyon coolers, uh, Kuyu clothing, uh, firearms, a uh, lion hunt. Man, I would like to win that one. Um, sleeping bags. Uh, list goes on and on. And let's see, it's $65 I looked up for your dinner ticket. And each are in a limited number. Well, that's that. Thank you for your support to keep and enhance Arizona's unique wildlife resources and joining in an evening of fun. Yeah, that's from Dave Cagle, Arizona Antelope Foundation Fundraising Dinner Chairman. 
So don't miss that. That's a great organization. I've said it before. I'll say it again. They're one of the hardest working conservation organizations out there. And if you're only going to pick one to throw your support behind, that's a good one to do. All right. Next up, we have an event coming at you from the National Wild Turkey Federation in conjunction with the Arizona Mule Deer Organization, along with the Arizona Game and Fish Department. This is to maintain uh, some water catchments in Game Management Unit 23 North off Young Road and the 109. I've personally hunted 23 North on several occasions. It's a great unit for elk and bear and all kinds of stuff. Uh, there's 12 catchments in 23 North and two catchments in 22 that need maintenance from wear and tear, weather events in the past. And let's see, this event and maintenance is entirely funded by the National Wild Turkey Federation and the Arizona Mule Deer Organization and will directly be benefit benefiting wildlife by keeping water available during the hot summer months. Lord knows this is more important now than ever. Food and non-alcoholic beverages will be provided, but feel free to bring your own drinks. Fire restrictions will be in effect. Let's see. Camp will be off Forest Road 109, east of Young, 512 Road. Follow the signs. If interested, reach out and let us know. Bring your fence pliers, shovel, gloves, and appetite. The food is cooked fresh every day and will be worth the trip alone. So I will get links to both of these events in the show notes, so check it out there. In the meantime, check out this unique podcast and this interesting opportunity. And if you don't know it already, you live in a state that is a top destination for field herping. So get out there and enjoy these animals in a safe, responsible way. And I'll see you after the show. All right, fellas, let's start with some introductions. Um, I'll quickly just say that uh, I've known uh, Mike Pingleton for, God, I don't know how many years now, but a bunch. Um, I've known Brian for the last 10 years that I've been here in Arizona. So I'm going to throw it to you guys as to let you introduce yourselves. And, and yeah, I'll add in where I, where I deem necessary. So, Mike, you want to go? Sure. Um, I think it's about 20 years, Mike. <laughs> I think we've known each other about 20 years, uh, going back to when you lived in Missouri. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, what, I don't know what to say. I, uh, Mike Pingleton, I am a 63 year old retiree, live in uh, central Illinois. I, uh, spent much of my life, uh, in it as a career. Uh, I am not a herpetologist or a biologist, but I like hanging out with those guys and gals. Um, so I, I spent a lot of time in the field, so to speak, doing field herping, uh, as, you know, field herping as a recreational activity, travel around in various countries, um, wrote a book about it, uh, have a podcast about it. <laughs> um, so it's, it's sort of like a full-time occupation for me. I do get out and cut my grass once in a while, take out the trash and things like that. But uh, usually I'm busy with some aspect of field herping now. Mm-hmm. All right. So this is why I said I'd add in where where I deem necessary. You always sell yourself short, Mike. Um, 
So Mike Pingleton, at least I see him this way. And I think a lot of the field herping community see him this way as well. And that is kind of our, our leader um, and a great example of the good part of everything we're going to talk about here today. Uh, Mike's a great conservationist. He's a great teacher. He's a great guide. Um, he's, he's just somebody you want to look up to in this community and kind of he sets the bar for everyone. Uh, and not, not to mention, um, Mike is nothing less than a world traveler at this point. Uh, in retirement, uh, we, we are all envious of Mike. Uh, Mike and Brian both just got back from Europe. Mike is headed up to the Pacific Northwest tomorrow. Then Mike is back down to the Amazon jungle in Peru where he leads tours. Um, and that list can go on and on and on. So good for you, Mike. Well, well thanks uh, for filling that in a little bit. <laughs> All right. Brian, you're up. Uh, yeah, I live in Arizona. I've known you, Mike, for, I don't know, like 12, 13 years, something like that, 10 years. I don't know. Close. They go by real, real fast these days. I'm uh, 43. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I live in the desert, have lots of snakes here. Uh, I made a career move a few years ago to, to work with, with snakes full time. So this is pretty much my my life now. And uh, all of this started with, you know, when we're kids looking at snakes, that's, it's still the same stuff. So uh, everything we're going to talk about today, uh, for me feels at this point, much more than it's, it's walks that line very carefully between hobby and, and work. So uh, and I enjoy talking about it because talking with, with folks like you helps me kind of uh, remember what I'm doing <laughs> at any given time. Uh, but yeah, I just, I love living here. I love uh, being around so many reptiles and amphibians and uh, uh, being able to do this every day. Awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about your business and some of the research you do? Uh, yeah, I have a, in, in Phoenix, it's a business called Rattlesnake Solutions. And we, we essentially work with homeowners to solve issues regarding rattlesnakes in your yard. You can get one in your patio, we'll come and get it. And, and move it away from there and then, and then tell you something about it so you don't have uh, don't have those problems anymore or at least couldn't go back to the bed that night and not worry about it so much. Um, a lot of that goes to uh, some of the funding from that and a lot of my effort these days goes towards really examining this whole issue of urban wildlife conflict with, with rattlesnakes where um, people and venomous snakes are committing uh, sharing the same space is a it's a an emotional topic for for everybody involved more or less, and we're able to collect a massive amount of data and then partner with universities and other interested agencies and parties um, to 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 really see if we can make some some headway on how to to improve that situation and and make it better going forward. Awesome, well, good work. Well, let's let's get down to the bare bones of it. Um, you know, on the, this podcast, I do a lot of hunting and fishing podcasts because that's what I'm interested in. And our conservation organization, while that's not the main focus of their work, they're rooted in that. You know, we started 100 years ago creating the first science-based commission for wildlife management and taking it out of the hands of the legislature. But that's not all we do. And that's certainly not all I do either. Um, 
you know, much like the two of you, I, I had a, an intense fascination with everything that lives under rocks when I was a kid. And that fascination has never left me. So, you know, there's an outdoor recreation. We have camping, we have hiking, we have bird watching, we have mountain biking, and we have field herping. But I don't think most people know exactly what field herping is or have even heard of it for that matter. Can one of you guys give us a description of what we're talking about here? Uh, sure. Uh, well, field herping is, uh, as I like to frame field herping, it is the act of searching for amphibians and reptiles in the field as a recreational activity. It is very it is a strong parallel with with birding with bird watching same mm-hmm. thing. Uh, the idea is to go out, see these things, uh, enjoy them, and leave them where they're at. Probably the, the big difference between field herping and, and and we have this name herping, which comes from the term herpetology. And there's a number of root words involved there, and it you know, there's all kinds of you know there's jokes that people make sure. about it. But it's a bit of an unfortunate sort of a, name. Yeah, but it, it's here to stay. Uh, I you know, managed to get a book published with herping in the title, which was amazing. But but, uh, but that that is sort of what field herping is now. It is very similar to birding. The only really diff, real difference is that field herping can be a tactile experience, where birding, unless you own a chicken or a duck or a parrot, is not. You don't get to go out and, and have sparrows come and, and land on your hands and you can pet them. But you can pick up a frog or a turtle, you can interact with it uh, in a tactile manner. And that's something that the field herping has that, that bird watching doesn't. So that's, that's sort of what it is in, an, in, in a nutshell. It is uh, a niche activity. For many years, it was something that um, some thousands of people did in mm-hmm. a very disorganized <clears throat> fashion. Uh, with the, uh, in the, in the teens, uh, interest in all things outdoor, went way up uh bird watching got a million more people mm-hmm. uh field herping got tens of thousands of more uh, people interested in that activity so it, it really is a recreational activity it's not it's no longer kind of just a niche thing that the you know that that one funny kid in high school did or you know <laughs> i was that kid yeah yeah we were all that kid <laughs> There's only one of us at the time, you know, in yeah. school, there was that one kid and now there's yeah. a, a so, group of them. Yeah. So it, it is, uh, it is kind of grown up a little bit. It's way behind uh, activities like birding. Uh, birding has mm-hmm. been around for a very long time and it was very popular. Even a hundred years ago, there's lots of people did birding. And so they have a lot of codified structure and ethics and, you know, rules and things, how you can, you know, behave and, you know, they have social, uh, mores for for how birders interact and how they interact with birds. So all that stuff is is very much in place for birding, but for field herping, it's all kind of new. We're all kind of working this out as yeah. we go as as a group. Yeah, and it's so. it's been interesting to watch the kind of turmoil and ins and outs of this thing as it's become a thing. You know, over over the last twenty years, uh, it's it's been interesting to to watch for sure. I mean, so, you're, you're nervous. No, sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, please, Brian. No, stage is yours. Um, uh, in you know, 
living in Arizona too, this is, this is maybe the, in, in the United States, one of a, a handful of, of top, um, you know, destinations for anyone. So yeah. just because such a diversity of, of animals here. And I see from, from this perspective, um, the number of people that are in this, this kind of newly popular hobby that move here specifically to do this, they take it very seriously that um, anytime they have any opportunity to, to, to move or spend some time anywhere, consider this um, is, is inc- it's, it's a, it's a lot of people uh, at this yeah. point. Anytime I see yeah. somebody that's in their early twenties um, online that I know that's in this world and they, they mention that they're going to be moving. I know where they're moving. They're moving to, right. to Phoenix or Tucson. And, yeah. um, and that within the last 10 years, that's just become crazy. So, you know, talking with uh, you know, Arizona Game and Fish and other people that are still kind of, well, this is not getting that sorted out, that ethical kind of uh, uh, mechanism to do this properly. Yeah. How, how to manage this thing. Yeah, it's not sorted out now, but you have to be thinking about it because it's not the kind of thing you put the, you know, like Mike was saying, it's a, it's a tactile thing, uh, which means it's also a thing that can be very destructive if done wrong. You know, if you, yep. if birding were done to where when it first starts, people tend to take half the birds home in a bag, uh, birding would be a different a different thing so it's just yeah. it's, it's a very quickly evolving thing as it grows yeah and it's a, it's pretty nuanced as well and complicated mm-hmm. to get these things worked out and i guess it's probably got a long way to go huh a long way yeah yeah all right so uh, to get down to the brass tacks here uh first off if folks haven't already caught on when we were referring to herps our herping we are we are talking about reptiles and amphibians so that's snakes lizards turtles salamanders frogs um dot 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 and man i i don't know what it is i think especially with snakes love them or hate them everyone is somewhat fascinated by them um i'm certainly uh, no exception to that rule and i also i want to be clear on on one thing here and that is while a lot of herpers might get in, when I say herpers, I'm referring to individuals or individuals that are out there field herping. Um, they they might get sore at the fact that I'm promoting this as a thing folks should get out there and do. Uh, but I feel like folks are going to get out there and do it. And I, I think it's better to promote it in, in a safe and ethical manner. And then, as far as I'm concerned, the more the merrier. Um, the more people that are out there enjoying these animals and experiencing them, the more they're going to be out there to protect them and protect their habitat. So that's my goal here. So with that, uh, Mike Mike lives out in Illinois. Uh, Mike has herped here in Arizona several occasions as well as all over the world. Uh, Brian is – an old hat here in Arizona that's been here his whole life. So when we talk about what people need to do this and ways to go about it, that's going to change, uh, you know, geographically. Um, so, but focusing here on Arizona, how does somebody interested in one that wants to get out in the field and experience these animals, what do they need to get started and where's a good place to start? Um, it's, it's, uh, you said that was for me. That was for Arizona. Sure, I missed that one. Something blip. Okay, <laughs> just just jump in. Oh yeah, in Arizona it's real easy. You just go outside. There's so much public land here. 
we have a tremendous amount of public land. Uh, it's it's accessible. There's lots of uh, places you can get out there and look. Um, lots of good uh, books that uh, you can get. Lots of knowledgeable people. There are more herpers here than probably anywhere there. Um, so yeah, if you want to get started here, just start literally go outside and start looking um, and do it with an open mind. Because if you get into a forum or online somewhere and just start asking for really specific things, be aware that it's a pretty contentious thing here. Um, but you know, that's, that's how you start go, go look for the animals and take note of what you see. Yeah. And I would add that, that herping field herping is, is basically high hiking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's no special equipment other than appropriate outdoor gear for your climate. And of course, Brian and Mike, you guys can attest to Arizona, you have some special needs, which you know, include lots of water and sun protection and things like that. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, you know, that's the most important thing is to make sure that you're properly kitted up to hike in in that environment. Because mm-hmm. uh, right. that's what you're doing. You're walking around, you're hiking, you're, you're looking for things as you move across the landscape. So, well, you guys both kind of dropped the ball on this one. This is you miss the opportunity to plug Mike's book. <laughs> <laughs> that that's the place to start. Then you go hiking. <laughs> let's take this opportunity. Can you tell us about your book, Mike, and where to find it? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I um, I have a I spent uh, a number of years working on this book. It's called the Field Herping Guide. And I should say I and my co-author worked on this book for a number of years. The Field Herping Guide, uh, Finding Amphibians and Reptiles in the Wild. And uh, it's uh, my co-author's name is Joshua Holbrook, and he's a professor of uh, biology and ecology at Montreal College in North Carolina. And so the idea was is that if, if you're interested in birding, I always bring this back to birding, go to the library. There's 12 feet of bird books in the library. No problem. It's all codified. It's all structured. You can pick up your, the books you need, but you can't do that with field herping. You can pick up a field guide and find out what is in Arizona. You can pick up the new Arizona field guide, right? Mm-hmm. And you can find out what is there, but you don't get, a, it's not a primer on how to do it. It's a primer on what's what's there. So we decided we needed to have a book for the 10-year-old uh, child who's bugging his or her parents to take them out to find snakes or turtles or, or lizards. So we need a book for those um, for those people. And we need a book for the parents because the parents, oftentimes parents are involved in children's activities, but they don't know how to get started. I have, I have a 10-year-old who wants to find frogs. What the heck do I do? Well, that's that. This is basically the target audience for this book. They didn't really write it for the field herpers, although I, all my field herper friends have, have got a copy, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Uh, but it's really kind of a, a, aimed at um, the novice to give them what they need to get started. Uh, and uh, of course, you know, it's found on Amazon and, and things like that. So uh, that's where most people get it. Um, so you know, it's. Um, it's not geared for any particular uh, region, but mm-hmm. it, it starts, you know, with, you know, what do you need to wear? Uh, where should you go? How do you look for herps? And, you know, and of course, my my friend Josh uh, is an ecologist. So we got a big dose of ecology uh, simplified in terms of herp ecology, but how these animals behave and how that how how their behavior and their needs are, you know, their um 
in terms of food and water and, and you know, uh, finding a mate and things like that. That all determines where you go and how you look. So it, it kind of builds as you go along. We encourage people to take it like you would, just like birding. I had to bring it up again. But, you know, birding, you start out, you have a list, and you, you start out slow, and you maybe you keeping track of things in your yard. And it's kind of the same thing. You, you know, start out slow, keep track of what you're finding, think about where you saw the things, the animals, what they were doing. That's all kind of an important thing to to learn more about them and learn how to find things, uh, more things as you repeat the experience. So, so that, that's the book in a nutshell. Um, and, uh, it, it came out in 2019, just in time for COVID. (laughs) Um, but, uh, it seems to be doing, uh, better again. Now that that we're over that and people are buying books and things like that. So good. Um, all right. Yeah. All right, so we got Mike's book to start with. We don't want to forget that. We've got a field guide, and the field guide that Mike was referring to is a field guide to amphibians and reptiles in Arizona. It's by Andrew Holycross. It's by Thomas Brennan and Randy Babb. You might have heard Randy Babb on our last podcast talking about jaguar natural history in Arizona. That was a good one. If you didn't, go back and listen to that. I need Uh, to listen to that one. I'm really excited about it. It was fun. Um, and Randy Babb is such a wealth of information. Just, it's ridiculous, but that is a great field guide. I would say probably the premier field guide for Arizona. It's accurate. It's uh, there's an updated version out right now. Um, and, and inexpensive as well. So Mike's book, a field guide, let's say a notebook to keep a list of what you're seeing, maybe a stick to poke things with some good walking shoes, some water, a sun hat, and you're good to go here in Arizona. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, the cost of entry is not bad here. Not bad at all. And, and interests, you know, that's one of the things, too. I think a lot of Curiosity. people, they hurt. If you if this is a thing you have a natural uh, tendency to do, if you're if you're that person that when you're camping or something, you sneak away to flip over a log because you want to see what's you're already doing this. Yeah. This is just your 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 permission, essentially, is how it felt for me when I realized, well, oh, people yeah, that do right. this, we were I can do this, this as an adult a name. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this is your way of getting, you know, if you're that kid and then you stopped at some point because mm-hmm. it didn't seem like the thing you're supposed to do as an adult, you can, you know, here's your justification. There's a, now a treasure <laughs> map. And that's what a field guide is, is your treasure map of things to go I like and look that. for. And I know this new field guide, that's my, that's my herping goals for the year is to go and find enough stuff in there to say, well, they need another, another edition. Right. <laughs> on some stuff. There you go. All right. So um, our, our hypothetical person here, they have their equipment, they have their curiosity. Um, let's say just to keep it uh, very Arizona centric, they've never seen a rattlesnake. I mean, to, you know, uh, a new person just just kind of cutting their teeth on this. There's there's nothing really more exciting than a big rattlesnake. So, Brian, what, how would you advise them? How do they go about this? Um, and I, this, I say this to, I talk with a lot of people that are really scared of rattlesnakes. They're mm-hmm. not interested in herping. I mean, I talk to a lot of really fearful people. Um, the th- thing I always advise that they do when they first see a rattlesnake is to take note of, to, to be aware that they're being informed by what they're actually seeing and not what they expect to be seeing, what they heard they should be seeing, what they think should happen to, to try to be as present as you can to really see what is in front of you. Um, there is, there's definitely, even if you want to see one, there is 
going to be some some raised uh, some some anxiety. Your heart rate will go up a little bit, and it's a good it's a good way to to go when you first see that to just really explore. You know how much of this that I'm worrying about is based on what uh, what I think is going to happen versus what is, um, and then when that kind of goes away and you resolve that, you're left with just this amazingly specialized. Um, it's, it's a famous and iconic animal. Um, uh, is just they're they're incredible things. The more you you see them and the more you learn about them, they're incredible. And that's just it's a good way to kind of um, you know when you when you first see one, if you were to see your first rattlesnake. Um, it's, it's just as much about resolving how you feel about it than, than mm-hmm. what you're actually looking at. Yeah. So regarding methods, and I, I want to talk about safety a little bit later on too, but maybe not yet. Because, um, you know, rattlesnakes, they're potentially dangerous. Um, I mm-hmm. tell people that if you don't touch them, then they're not dangerous. And, and I mean that because they don't come after you. They they don't want any trouble. You can walk right by them on the trail, which lots of people do here in Arizona, and they don't even realize it. Um, <laughs> so it, it's – Maybe I'm oversimplifying it, and and I'm happy to be corrected if if I am. But but ultimately, just don't touch them, and it's it's really that simple. They're not a dangerous animal if you don't come in contact with them. Is that yeah. oversimplifying I mean, it? Or? I mean, there's there is the uh, you know you, there's always the, if, you're, if you're also aware, right? Yeah. So you you can always step on one that kind of thing. But you know, I I sum it up a lot with just the very semantic sounding. Uh, and, and, and uh, pedantic sounding argument of the differences between aggressive and defensive mm-hmm. um, and why I'm very specific with those terms because defensive animals act a certain way. They, they want to prevent their own death and that's and nothing more. And an aggressive animal, will, you know, pick a fight, right? It's a di- different mm-hmm. situation. And when you see truly that they, a snake that is over there and as long as you don't go over there is not, there's no danger there whatsoever. Um, and when you truly feel that there's just, yeah, then, then you can be safe and you can operate safely and, and stress-free in those environments and it can become enjoyable. Okay. Well, th- there I went, I said, I didn't want to go into safety, but I guess we did. Um, but it is pretty simple. Uh, just, just like you put it, uh, a lot of people think they, they need to wear, you know, special boots and snake gaiters when in snake country. And I'm not going to say that's a bad idea. Um, it, it might be in some uh, circumstances, but as a general rule, as you said, just be aware, be aware where you're walking, you know, be aware of the habitat you're in and, Mm -hmm. and watch out. And, you know, here I, here I am over, I guess, how am I going to say this? Um, I kind of, I over-exaggerate the, these animals are not dangerous. Of course, a rattlesnake is, is potentially very dangerous. Um, but I always, I always talk with people about the odds of stepping on one because I've been tromping around in a venomous snake habitat my entire life. I've never stepped on one. With that said, a couple of years ago down in Yuma, I was walking out of a hotel um, and I felt something roll under my heel and I felt something latch onto my ankle. And I thought for sure it was a rattlesnake and it was karma for all this talking I, I give to people. <laughs> um, I looked down, it was a big old gopher snake. So, you know, I should check myself because people can step on snakes and they can bite you when they when you do. So so that's a possibility even when you're not in the field and walking around on the pavement. But 
I am. I'm thinking about a field herper I know who was not field herping. He took out the trash, yeah. and uh, barefoot took the trash out and uh, got bit by a copperhead. Yeah, that that happens uh, every summer it, back it, home. It can happen to anyone. Yeah, it just happened to happen to a field herper this time. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you know, it, it's it's not something you expect to happen. Right. Um, but that's not really going out of your way uh, to put yourself in contact with the animal. That people, I know a guy who fell down a hill and got bit by a rattlesnake. Yeah. Um, it, it just it, you know, those things are going to happen. People walk their dogs, their dogs get bit. Things like that happen all the time. Um, but if you're not looking for trouble, there's, you know, I always always say that you know, there's, uh, if you have no good reason to interact with a venomous snake uh, close up, then the only thing you have left are bad reasons. Um, so you you don't you don't need to use a hook or a stick. You don't need to move them around. You can just watch them. Yep. Um, you can just stand 10 feet away and watch this animal do its thing. Yeah. And I know Brian's a big proponent of this sort of thing, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is totally not necessary to handle or interact with that animal in, in any way. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I think that on is... On the herping end, that can... Oh, go ahead, Brian. Uh, and on the herping end, that's a whole other way to enjoy it as well. As if mm-hmm. you see a snake yeah. and it's just sitting there and it's not doing anything and you take a photograph of it, you are also taking a photograph of, of not the animal, but what it's doing, where it lives, mm-hmm. the position it's in. There's a lot of other information in there. So, you know, just one more thing to enjoy. Yeah. And that's uh, one piece of equipment I forgot to add in earlier, and that's a camera. Uh, it's it's oh, yeah. a great yeah. way to collect these experiences and enjoy them down the road, share them with other people. All right. So, well, now we know how to be safe. Um, don't just not touch them. Also be aware of them. I'm going to change my rhetoric on that. Um, you got your equipment. Uh, you know, say it's the middle of June at noon and somebody wants to go out and see a snake. Are they, are they going to find one out in the desert? There's there's this, uh, you know, that the Dunning-Kruger graph in there. So, no, initially, it's bad. <laughs> but then later... Later, yes. You know, okay. But you know, they're in like one hole in the hole. And as long as you know where that hole is, they're there. So it's a, yeah, it's, you know, it's a thing about like people go online and they ask you about when and where to do all these things. It's all just a matter of trying lots of different things and, and taking notes. Mm-hmm. Somebody that tries as many things as they can and doesn't go out when they think they should be out or doesn't go out and, and pays attention to when they succeed and fail within short order is going to, is going to be, we'll, we'll know that it's way too hot in the middle of noon at June to really find them. Um, but you have to be the type to be aware of your bias and also learn from your, mm-hmm. your, um, your experiences. Um, and Arizona as a way of punishing, <laughs> um, the, those, those times. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be advisable anyway, even if you're seeing stuff, just cause it's, it's not fun so much <laughs> anymore, you know, when it's dangerous. 
Right. For different reasons. Yeah. So I guess what I was getting at there is, you know, since we are trying to keep this Arizona, um, you know, these, these are animals that live in the desert. And just like mm-hmm. all animals that live in the desert, or I should say a lot of animals that live in the desert, they, you know, they have to live under extreme uh, circumstances under extreme heat, under extreme cold, mm-hmm. under extreme drought. Um, so a lot of these animals are fossoral the majority of their lives. Um, there are specific species, um, let, let's say the boas, the desert boas, the Mexican boas, uh, highly sought uh, species for folks that are into this. Um, and they're highly sought because one, they're beautiful. Uh Two, they're they're exotic as far as North America is concerned, um, and three, they're hard to find uh, unless you know specifically when and where to go look for them. And then sometimes you can find multiples of them on the on one mm-hmm. trip. But so there's there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot to figure out, um, and that keeps it interesting, in my opinion. You know, when after you've gotten out and you've seen a lot of the common stuff uh, that you can see just out hiking a trail, and you learn more about these more obscure species with uh, smaller ranges that you have to travel to, and and you have to you know learn about their their life habits in order to target when and where to find them. It's a treasure hunt, pretty yeah. much, and I'm always amazed I can be with somebody that uh, is a, a good friend of mine. We go out in the field to go look for things. We have a, a six-hour drive to get where we're going to be. We're there for hours and hours on another drive home. And the entire time, we're talking about the methods to get better, of the thing we're looking for, and all this. And it just never runs out of things to talk about. You yeah. can take this way too far. Uh, and that's the fun <laughs> thing about it is you, you go there, and whether you, you, know, you go, you're looking for that boa, if you find it, the drive home is six hours of talk about how the conditions were just right and and you confirm this thing, but maybe this thing you can learn a little mm-hmm. bit more about. And if you don't find it, that conversation is more or less the it's the same conversation of well, well, we were wrong about this. Maybe it's it's this, maybe we should try in these other conditions. And you know, you can you can do this with somebody infinitely. And that's one of the, the interesting things to me is just how it's a it's a big, long, endless mystery that has no end. And the, the, the more successful you become at finding those targets and the things that you are looking for, the, the further and further out, um, those, little, those little obscure dots on the range map seem to be. And that's, that's a, enticing, another huh? enjoyable aspect of yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I want to kind of bring it around a little bit to, you know, back to the idea of you had a parent are uh, parents with a 10 year old who's nuts about this stuff. And uh, if your first target probably isn't going to be a rattlesnake, um, but you're going to go out to your public park. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, you know, you're hiking trails. Uh, and of course, Arizona has lots of those within cities and, and, and so on and so forth. You don't have to drive a tremendous amount of hours. So there's, there are opportunities to get started in, in kind of local, I don't want to say urban, but suburban habitats. Uh, where you go to the park, and uh, if there's a water feature, there's probably going to be some kind of aquatic, you know, herb. Mm-hmm. There, there may be a frog there. Um, and w- walking the trails, you have the opportunity for lizards, and not just one lizard, but maybe three or four. I think about, you know, somebody goes to Tucson Mountain Park, 
for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can go there if you're not in the middle of day in, in June. You, you go in the morning or the afternoon, you can see lots of different lizards. Yeah. Um, you can, uh, in fact, I went to, uh, what is it, the Arizona or the Sonora Desert Museum. Right. You and I went there together, uh, I believe. Yeah, we did. And uh, we saw lots of different lizards. Right. And so it's, it's a great opportunity. You bring your camera, you bring your 10-year-old, you go there and you can shoot lizards on the grounds and maybe see a snake uh, because they're there. Uh, and you, or there's tortoises and things like that. So you can, you have the opportunity to sort of start, ease into it, you know, mm-hmm. and figure some things out um, and and uh, have uh, what, what I call early success. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you've got a kid, you want to keep them active in it. Hey, we had a great day. We saw five species of lizards mm-hmm. and we got pictures here to prove it. So that's sort of, to me, the uh, also is important. You know, maybe you don't get the rattlesnake right away, uh, but maybe on another hiking trail, you know, at six in the evening or whatever. And uh, when the sun's going down or the sun's starting to go down, you uh, you find your first rattlesnake crossing the trail. So those those are the kind of things that that can happen, but everything can start with a lizard or a frog at the city park. You know, doesn't doesn't have to be a a, a big expedition to start. Yeah, no, that's that's a great point, Mike, and thanks for bringing that up. Um, all right, so outside of just hiking a trail and looking around, let, let's talk about a few other methods. Um, because, you know, out east, not so much here in Arizona, but out east, people are looking undercover. Um, there's books written about this, you know, and they're looking under old uh, pieces of corrugated tin in, in the southeastern United States where people would find these fantastic corn snakes and eastern king snakes and cane break rattlesnakes, eastern diamondback rattlesnakes, these magnificent animals. Um, but that's not so much a thing out here in Arizona. Typically, when something's underground, it's underground. You know, you don't just find them flipping rocks. There are particular situations um, and times that that can that can be useful. Um, and of course, I guess since I'm mentioning that, I, I, I do want to talk about the ethics of, of this as well. And uh, anyone that has has done this for any length of time uh, realizes the importance of. When you are turning a rock over or even a piece of trash, you're, you're disturbing a habitat that something utilizes for life um, and is absolutely important to get that piece of cover, whether it be a rock or a log or, or a piece of junk, back the way you found it. Um, so that, that's, that's one method, not, not so much one we use out here in Arizona a lot, but I'll tell you, there's, there's nothing much more exciting in the world to me than, than flipping a, a rock over and, and seeing, you know, a coiled up the red, black and white bands of a milk snake. It's, it's like Christmas morning every single time, <laughs> but, but yeah, I want to emphasize the, the, the part about putting that that cover back the way the way you found it because it's very important and I also realize the term flipping a rock is a little bit more aggressive than what we're actually talking about. <laughs> everybody says flip, but nobody actually flips. Yeah, nobody flips. Everybody everybody <laughs> lifts or turns over. Right, but it's popularized as flipping. So in the um, uh, low desert here, flipping is it's, it's challenging and the ethics are, are tough too because the. The, you know, lack of moisture is the driving force that dictates the behavior of most of these animals. And when you're, you know, there's not much churn 
Meaning, mm-hmm. if you flip something over and there's a lot of moisture and there's a lot of bio, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of plant matter and stuff moving around and and a lot of rain, you can it's it's just something it's 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 hiding under. Where if you flip a rock here, sometimes I don't feel like I'll put it right back, but I don't feel like it's you're not getting like it's done seal. the job. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna and dry I, out so under just, there. That's why, like, just personally, I have just kind of. You know, I don't have, I don't feel strongly about this. I don't, because I don't know enough to feel strongly about it, but that's how I feel is whenever Mm -hmm. I flip over a rock in the low desert, no matter how I put it back, I don't feel satisfied with that, uh, that I've done a good job and I'm I'm not hurting that. Sure. That animal in some way. No, I'm, I'm in absolute agreement with you. Um, definitely the side effects of, of this method of, of looking for these animals in the desert Southwest, um, are exasperated. Uh, if you turn that rock over, if there is moisture under it and there are organisms utilizing it, you're not going to get that seal back. It's going to dry out under that rock. So you, you're causing damage. You might not mean to, but but you are. And it's not a, an effective enough method of herb, especially in desert ecosystems, that it's even worth doing. Um, so, you know, field herping uh, in desert ecosystems. Again, you're not going to find a lot of animals by by turning over objects. Uh, some other methods would be, you know, if if you know when and how to target rock outcroppings that that animals use as hibernaculum or, or shelter, and you know when to go looking and when to poke around, you can see some animals, um, you know, in their natural state doing what they do in those situations. Uh, but but another one out here is. What people call road riding or road cruising, um, and that's at certain times of the year, after dark or even before dark, you get out and you simply go for a drive through the desert. Um, and as boring as that might sound to someone who's not tuned into what we're talking about here, um, it's not. It's it's. I would I would prefer yeah. to hike up uh, an animal any day over road cruising one, but still. You know, having that that image in your mind's eye, and you know, driving the wee the wee hours of the morning looking for a target, and finally it appears. Uh, it's nothing short but spectacular. So, it does sound crazy. Like, you listen, hey, what are you doing tomorrow night? You want to go drive three hundred miles and end up back in your own uh-huh. your own driveway? Yeah, and, and spend you know hundred bucks in gas, and maybe you saw. A dead snake on the road, but you're excited because it's a it's a worthwhile note or yeah, something. A new species. You know, <laughs> well, road road cruising has this. Um, it 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 is a uh, it's a quest, if you will. Uh, it's a treasure hunt, like uh, like Brian said. Um, but it's also if if unless you're by yourself, it's a social thing because there's you you talk. Mm-hmm. Well, you might might share music. Uh, you, you know, so that that's kind of, there's kind of this thing going on. You, you're in car with friends, three four hours. You can have some great conversations. Yeah, and I was thinking about my podcast. It's like, oh man, I wish I had some of those conversations yeah. recorded because <laughs> I have had some fantastic ones with with uh, uh, you name it, all kinds of people in cars, and and it would be great to to be able to capture those things. But uh, so that's sort of a social element too. So it's it's um. Uh, part of being in the community, mm-hmm. uh, road cruising does figure into that. It's how, it's how you make new friends too. You know, oh, you've been out with so and so. You never been out with them before. Road cruise together 
friends for life. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It can be fun. And it's on, you know, I think about, I get nostalgic for it. Cause that's when I, when I was, you know, 21 or something, I, mm-hmm. I that's when I learned, Oh, this thing of looking for snakes is a, a thing I can do. Yeah. But, you know, road cruising was the way someone told me to do that. It's like, go drive. And it still has this, as I usually do it by myself and I prefer it that way. And it's not cause I don't like, like my friends is that it has, it, that's the space it filled for me that I enjoyed is putting on some music and, or a good audio book or something and driving off into the desert at night with, with, you know, in the monsoon in Arizona with clouds on the horizon. And, you know, you don't know what you're going to find or where you're going or anything. Those were, that was a really interesting time of, of my life. So it's hard when I cruise now, I'm trying to get a little bit of that and it's a, a fun thing to do. Yeah. I've got a lot of music that like Tom Waits, I was turned on to at a certain time of my life when I was road cruising in a particular <laughs> place. And it, every time I hear him, it takes me back there. Okay. So yeah, there, there's something to say for too. driving around uh, aimlessly <laughs> in the night. Uh, there, there's something to it. It's hard to, hard to put your finger on, I guess. Um, I've been having fun. Uh, I've got my four-year-old daughter that comes with me now. Mm-hmm. Cruise. She's old enough now that she can go road cruising with me. So it's a way to get out and show her stuff. And, you know, so her mom was out of town for the week. So we went out cruising a lot and we went on an overnight trip and we just drove up and down dirt roads. And, you know, she's a little girl, but we see a diamondback sitting out in the road and I'll take her out and hold her back at a, you know, mm-hmm. she'll stand at a good distance and take out her little baby camera and take pictures of it and stuff. And it's just a good way to, I don't know. It's, it's easy access yeah. and it's, it's safe to do in a lot of different circumstances. So it's a, it's a great way for people to kind of get immersed and just see what's out there. That's awesome. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be, um, you know, the other thing is it doesn't have to be a rattlesnake and I'm always going back to the 10 year old, uh, or in your case, Brian, the four year old, four year old, they're out there. They want to see stuff. Um, maybe they're, maybe they're into frogs. So again, uh, the monsoon comes, you, you drive out to the desert where the ditches are full of water and uh, voila, there you go. You got uh, spade foot toads in the, in the wet ditches and, you know, uh, 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 so, oh, well, we got to, uh, I'm blanking on the other, a number of different species yeah. of toads and frogs that you can go out to the, just go out to the desert. And if it's wet, if there's water in the ditch on the side of the road, You'll see some cool frogs. Oh, yeah. Uh, and chant, you'll see them, you know, males, the males will be in there calling. And so you'll have this whole amphibian experience. Yeah. And you, that can, you can get get up face to face with them when they're really into it as well and, and observe that calling and all that behavior. And, you know, especially for a kid and adults like me, you know, getting out and waiting around with a headlamp uh, looking for frogs and toads is, uh, is just wonderful. Um, and, here it's in, the best thing ever. It is. It is. <laughs> Here in Arizona, it's even more magical because you're doing it in places that for the 99% of the year is dry, barren desert. Some of the most inhospitable places in our state have fantastic emergences of, of frogs and toads um, and a variety of species. So it's just it's an interesting thing to say the least. That's mind-blowing when you first see it. The first mm-hmm. time I was out in one of those early nights, I was talking about road cruising down by, uh, you know, by cells in southern Arizona. And it was the, the first emergence of, you know, every toad is waiting for that, that first rain. <laughs> and just driving this road, just unbelievable. The, the, the whole desert is just 
there isn't there isn't a square foot that doesn't have you know on that road that didn't have a toad or a dead toad mm-hmm. <laughs> unfortunately yeah. on it and you just you look on either side it's just that way forever like where yeah that's it's mind-blowing when you when you see that yeah I, I, that was a great great memory so this might be a good place to talk just a little bit about legalities. Um, there's a lot of gray area and nuance when it comes to pursuing wildlife that you have no intention of taking. Um, I, I would say my first piece of advice is whether you need it or, or you think you need it or not. Uh, well, first off, do your research or read your regulations. Arizona's got some pretty clear cut reptile and amphibian regulations, and we're lucky to have that. Read those, buy a hunting license, buy a fishing license, whatever you need to be out pursuing these animals. Because it's, you know, it might seem harmless, uh, but you are pursuing animals. You are harassing them, you know, even if you're you're trying to be as, uh, use as gentle of a, an approach as you can. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have to take care of these, uh, these, uh, animals that, that you know we share this place with um so make sure you're doing it right uh and and keep in mind that those laws and regulations they're going to change from place to place state to state um and sometimes they're not going to be clear um so do you have you guys had any experiences good or bad running into uh to uh i guess law dog when you're out there hmm. in arizona or, or anywhere it depends. <laughs> I haven't had any problems, but uh, yeah, um, I can't say I have either. I've, I've ran into some yeah. situations with border patrol and small town sheriffs that are just puzzled by yeah, what yeah. I'm out there doing, and they don't like it because I don't get it. But never, never believe serious. You, yeah. yeah, yeah, I can't say I, I've had a problem with um, like what would you call it, fish and wildlife or DNR, or whatever you say, mm-hmm. whatever you call. It. I really haven't had a problem there, but I really, you know, I'm really not driving around you know, with bags of snakes in my car or, you know, or in my hands or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So, um, so, but yeah, it's a good point to, to know that you, you, you can't necessarily harass wildlife, uh, depending on what state you're in. Some states, they just don't care, but some states just don't have much wildlife left either. Right. Um, so you have to, you have to know, and you know, if there's a turtle crossing the road, uh, you can call it harassing wildlife if you want, but if you take save that turtle from getting squashed by you know moving it across the road or something, that's to me that's sort of in a civil a, disobedience. A, yeah, I mean, um, I doubt if you're going to run into get in any trouble for that kind of thing. Uh, but it, you know, if you're harassing a Gila monster in the middle of, of a, a two lane road in Arizona, mm-hmm. chances are you're going to get a big fat ticket. Right. Right. Uh, and you probably deserve it uh, if you're harassing the animal in the middle of a road. If you're trying to get the animal off the road or if you're escorting it, that's you're probably not going to get a ticket for that. But yeah. if you're set up with your your photo gear and you're moving it around with a stick and and so so those things, it, you know, it's all context, I think, as, as to what you're doing. Yeah, I think um, you're right. So that's I don't one know. of the reasons that's been explained to me why those laws sometimes can be pretty general too, is it gives a lot of flexibility to the yes. the enforcement officer in the field. And that's, you know, Mike, you're probably seeing the same like in forums and stuff where people are like, well, is it, do you need a license to pursue them if I'm not touching them? I would talk to the person that would, you know, it doesn't matter what my interpretation is. Talk to a law enforcement officer and the answer that they're going to give you most often is yes. 
And don't don't fish around for a law enforcement officer until they give you the answer that you want. Like go with the, the most stringent um, and, and conservative on that aspect as you can, because that's who's going to, you know, I've I've had uh, interactions with with game and fish law enforcement here where um, where I knew there was a poacher in an area. I called him and told him there was a poacher in the area. And later that night, the same guy was searching my car, you know, because there's oh, wow. just they're very there. There are those guys yeah. that are just, yeah. you know, um, they're just trying, you know, trying to find trying, even if you're doing something legal, they're going to try to search your car and do a lot of stuff. So yeah, that's it. And if you're, you know, if you're not sure, just if Arizona makes it very easy to talk to people and then get that information. Right. Yeah. And I, I support, I support buying whatever license is required. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I, 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 I say this, I, I kind of wish Arizona would have like a herb stamp. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. That, that you could just buy a herb stamp and then, um, uh, you know, if you find a lizard and you want to photograph it, um, everything's cool. Um, you have got, you've got your herb stamp and you're mm-hmm. out there to, to view wildlife and, uh, you can, save that tortoise from getting squashed or whatever. And, uh, mm-hmm. you've, you've, you know, you paid into the system to help support the system and, um, and you're, you're doing things by the book. So, uh, you know, I, I think it would be a great idea for States like Arizona right. that have a lot of, a lot of people that come from out of state to, to, um, to see these things. It would mm-hmm. just be, um, to me, uh, it's worth, um, what, you know, it's worth paying some money to do that. Sure. Yeah. There's, Part there's, the- well, there's been a lot of talk about that. Um, you know, uh, we, we have the North American model of wildlife conservation that has proved to be an outstanding success over the last hundred years. And, you know, we have Dingle Johnson that is an excise tax on hunting um, equipment and ammunition. Then we have Dingle Johnson, which is a tax on boating and fishing equipment. All of that money goes back into conservation. Um, and our non-game species, unfortunately, they don't have that. Um, you know, right now we're looking at recovering America's wildlife. Life Act, which will hopefully help out there a lot, but a backpack tax, a herping stamp, those are great ideas and would go a long way uh, to benefit our wildlife and habitat. One of the challenges in Arizona, too, with out of, I don't think they understand how many people come here from yeah. out of state. Yeah. I haven't talked to a lot. There's, there are a few people in, in the department, I think, that understand that it is, a, it is a major thing in the monsoon, how many people come here. One of the things that's prohibitive to it is that the out-of-state hunting license is like 160 bucks or something like that. Yeah. So in, in, in my perfect world, it would be herping would be regulated under a fishing license. So it's 30 mm-hmm. bucks or something right. like that for an out-of-state for a weekend. And then you get a, a free herping stamp or something just so you can know, you can count how many people here. Um, because I, most of the people that come here from out-of-state, they don't get, you know, don't get an out-of-state herping license, but it, it's a... It's a costly thing, and most people here just aren't here that long, so they just don't. And it's also not – it's not entirely clear uh, just because of that conversation, you know, like we just had, um, that if they're just taking pictures that they need need some. So there's definitely some clarification and, and adjustments that could be made that could um, positively affect uh, mm-hmm. the animals. Well, there's it's this other issue that comes with it too. Um, every year, tens of thousands of birders – leave their homes and go to some other birding hotspot somewhere in the country, including Arizona. There's an economic impact to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the state from birding. Uh, those people come, they're not shy about 
spending money. They get hotels. They don't sleep beside their car like like Herpers do. <laughs> <laughs> they don't sleep on the side of the road like we do. They get hotels, and and uh, they like being comfy. And even though they're up at four o'clock in the morning, but they spend a lot of money. And and uh, I think herping is sort of getting to that point too, um, where you know you you don't have tens of thousands of people coming to Arizona to herp, but you have thousands of people who come to Arizona to herp, and there is definitely uh, some economic impact to that. So I think you know that's something that maybe the state itself doesn't um, think about, or maybe somebody does think about that, but it would be it would be something to tailor. Like you said, like Brian said, tailor a, a license or a permit to so that in, it in, it encourages people to to get you know maybe it's thirty bucks or whatever instead of some exorbitant fee. Um, it it feels less like you're paying protection money and more like you're participating in something. Right. Right. Yeah. I think a, a good portion of the gas station burrito industry in Arizona is fully <laughs> propped up by herpers. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. All right. So you guys are both seasoned, experienced, old school field herpers, um, and you do it right. But maybe, maybe when you started, you didn't do everything right. You didn't know to do everything right. So we got to be realistic and think about people that are new in this, uh, people that are getting really excited, um, and and how they're going to approach it and, and what's appropriate or not. For instance, we talk a lot about collecting those pictures of lizards along the trail. But try to tell my little boy and little girl that they only get to take a picture of that lizard and they don't get to chase it. I'm not saying that I try to steer them in that way, but I feel like giving them that little bit of an excitement and the rare opportunity they get to handle some of these animals, I think that's a big deal. And I think that instills a lot of appreciation um, into children, and they're going to grow up to be a lot like you two. So I think that there there is a place for that. Um, you know, obviously not with rattlesnakes, obviously not in parks and places where it is illegal to do so. But I think there's a lot of value in it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, and I, I, um, I don't want to be a hypocrite because I've, I've handled so many herps, mm-hmm. um, where where appropriate, but also as a young person, maybe probably inappropriately. Um, it's it is one thing to chase down a lizard. Uh, it's another thing to chase down all the lizards. Yeah, <laughs> which is not necessary. Um, and so, I, but I think the the experience having the animal in your hand, um, that whether it's a snake or a lizard, or whatever it is, that experience is powerful, uh, and it's it's something that kids don't forget. I always bring it back to kids, but uh, it's something they don't forget. So I agree with you that it, it's 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 very valuable, and it's tough to be. What is the word like? Like a, I don't know what what the. It's tough to be a, an enforcer of the rules all the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, in this into in 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 this world, humans have to live with wildlife, and wildlife has to live with humans. And the game is a little different now, mm-hmm. and we need all the support on the human side that we can, and we we don't get that by saying hey. Isn't that cool? Too bad you can't touch that. 
Yeah. Uh, we're yeah. never going to get anywhere that way. So we've got, we've got to have a little leeway with uh, if some animals get handled, if you pick up a turtle, whatever, those things are going to happen regardless. So let's make it a positive experience and make sure that people understand that's great, but don't chase all the lizards. That's, right. that's not good. <laughs> yeah. No, I, and it's not, it's not even all that bad. I mean, there are predation events and stressful situations in, in, in the wild. You know, there are, there are stress responses in animals and defensive responses because those are things that happen out there. So as long as, as long as you know the limits, you know, catching a lizard and admiring it, uh, taking a picture of it and then letting it go, that is not going to hurt that animal. As long as you understand to not pose it on a hot rock or, or, or hold it too hard or, you know, so it's just like, like, uh, you know, you have to understand what, where that line is. Yeah. And if you do that, I don't see any downside to, to, um, ethical handling of yeah. reptiles and amphibians. Yeah. I, I, it, it is, it is kind of a, it's a touchy situation too. I mean, not just birds. You can't, you can't pet a grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Well, you shouldn't. It can pet you. It can pet yeah. you. <laughs> Prairie dogs, armadillos, squirrels, so much of the natural world that isn't a plant is out of our reach. I mean, we're, we're left with, you know, insects, some insects, and we're left with amphibians and reptiles and maybe a few other things. But a lot of the, a lot of it, it's just already off limits just by the, the nature of the animal itself. You you just can't go catch a rabbit. It's, yeah. it's hard to do that stuff. So these 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 are slow moving critters that you know. The, this is the opportunity to to touch them. You're not going to catch an eagle. So, but you can catch a lizard. So it, it is a lot of I don't want to say pressure, but it it is a, a small segment of the wild of the of wild animals that you can actually have a close up experience yeah. with. All right, let's let's take it up one notch then. When I was a kid, uh, there there was no field herping community to tell me the right and wrong way to do things. I didn't have Mike's book, um, and I brought home every. If I had a container to put it in, it came home and lived in my bedroom until I caught something that I thought was cooler. Then it got replaced. Um, the, the the limiting factor was aquariums and how many I had. Um, <laughs> And of course, those experience experiences as a as a kid, you know, a very very well may be the thing that's led to you know a life of volunteerism and a career in conservation. Um, so I, I value those things, even though I may have been a bit misguided and I could have used some 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 guidance there. Uh, it still, I think, it, it, there was a greater good involved. At least I hope so. I, I hope I'm having an impact that I can call that a greater good. Um, so, for instance, my little boy wants a pet snake. I'm not going to let him bring home a bunch of snakes. But if we find a small mountain king snake in, in our new yard in the mountains, I'm going to let him keep it in an aquarium. Um, and you know, uh, either permanently or, or just for a short bit to, to observe and let it go. It depends on the snake and how it's doing, but what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, um, I think it's, it's fine if it's, you know, if it's like, uh, there's a diff, I actually had to deal with this today. There's somebody I saw on Facebook that I thought was one way, but it's another, mm-hmm. I think it's so e- ecologically, Catching a snake and doing that is not touching the population of snakes in the area. It's, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter. 
and especially in light of all the good that can come from that and your and, and your son's experience and um, and life going forward and appreciation. It's not going to hurt the population there. But there are also people that come there and collect every snake right. or collect it without mm-hmm. without that appreciation in mind. It's not for them. It's they're taking it to sell it later or do something. So there's it's a big, long, broad topic to where right. I think anyone that's against collection entirely is not seeing uh, the good that can be done sure. in it, but there, you know, let's not say there's not bad as well. And I, I'll mention real quick, Mike, I want to hear from you too, but uh, let me mention quickly that one, this is legal, um, especially you, you'll need a yep. hunting license. I think you'll need a fishing license for amphibians. Um, and you're going to need to read those regulations um, to know what you, what is legal, what isn't there. There are species that are, are rare and endangered and those are hands off. Can't even touch them. Um, and also, I, I want to point out for folks that just like in hunting, there are poachers. There's poachers in field herping, too. There's people that go out there and they collect every snake they see. Um, and that's bad. And unfortunately, there's bad apples in just about every group. Um, so I just wanted to throw that out there. Mike, what, what are your thoughts on, on collecting on a, on a small scale? I'm, I'm all for, I totally support kids bringing home a frog or a snake, putting it in an aquarium and keeping it and observing it, learning about it. I'm, I'm totally in favor of that. Uh, I un- also understand that what, what that part of what that is, is an attempt to prolong the experience with the animal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, you're trying to keep nature in a bottle so that you can continue your experience with that, with that organism. Uh, and I think that this is where responsible parenting comes in because I think that's a thing that, that has to come up when you're, when you're doing this, uh, kids are, kids are smart enough to understand this, this concept. Uh, and, and if they know, Hey, you know, let's keep this, let's, let's try keeping it for a couple of weeks and, and feed it and see what we can find out about it. And, uh, we can always turn this loose or well, our plan is to turn this loose after a week or whatever. And so once, once you sort of put it in a box and give it guidelines and, and understand why you want to do those things, it kind of takes, um, it kind of quells the desire a little bit, I think, but it, you know, uh, not, all, not all of us had parents that were like, Hey, there were they weren't on top of that right because they're working for a living or whatever and they you don't know what we're doing running around mm-hmm. the countryside or what we what we have in the garage <laughs> or the basement and things so there's yeah, there's look. always yeah there's always going to be that but for parents that are involved in it, it you know don't be afraid don't be afraid to put a toad in, a, in an aquarium and let your kid feed it and, and learn about it but don't be afraid also to say hey it's time for this guy to go back to his home there you and, go and uh, you know, it's amazing. It's important that, Most that people, home is the same place they found it too. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Same place you found it. And most people are really okay with that. Mm-hmm. They really are. Yeah. Especially yeah, after a week. Some hardliners that are going to oh, yeah. have, have issue yeah. with all kinds of stuff. But that's, that's also much just being on, online now, you know, you right. come up with any opinion. There's going to be somebody <laughs> that has, <laughs> you yeah. know, but you know, I've, I've, I've been lucky to have a lot of really good discussions about, uh, just the overall negative impacts of herping and and uh, uh, habitat destruction and collecting and poaching and all that with some, some you know people at Game of Fish. They're very knowledgeable about it. 
And my perspective that, that has, has been given to me on that is that ultimately for most of these animals, um, the, the, there's herping is still, you know, the number of herpers doing that is still few enough in, in limited places, usually along roadways mm-hmm. and kind of thing to where there really isn't that much of a case to be made, um, to say that, yeah, taking, taking an animal, even if it doesn't work out in the end, let's say you, you catch that toad, you were like me when I was a kid and the, the great, uh, tree frog genocide of 1985, we don't, they're not very good at taking care of them. It's not affecting the population. It's yeah. really not. And, uh, you know, it's not to say that to, to, to treat them poorly, but the, the downsides are not as grave as we maybe sure. want to think the other yeah. because we care about these animals so much. And, you know, and we, and we weigh those against bigger issues with wildlife, like uh-huh. bulldozers, climate change, concrete, mm-hmm. climate yeah. change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All those things. It is not the worst problem we have. No, not at all. Um, I I think it's important that people out get out there and experience these animals, learn to appreciate them and therefore care about them later. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm like your perspective on it. Uh, There are people that are going to be doing it. Mm -hmm. And we have seen here in Arizona, um, kind of a, a, a different clade of, of herpers that are so protective and just hope that the whole problem of people showing up to go herping is going to go away it will not. So that is the only that is the only thing you have, or, or things like uh, your your project with this podcast, Mike, your book. You know, people are going to do it. Show them how to do it. And then I wish I had that when I was a kid, or when you were a kid, putting mm-hmm. stuff in aquariums too. Like it would have been a different world if it didn't feel like you were doing this alone with no other guidance and you were just kind of having to figure it out yeah i think that was half the fun though i I really enjoyed being a kid (laughs) out there making those discoveries on my own but a little guidance would have been good too would have been good for the animals i was messing with that's for sure (laughs) all right yeah fellas we've we've already gone over an hour um (laughs) you know i've i've spent multiple hours with each of you talking about this stuff. Um, and I'm sure we could do that here. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. almost like we're in the car together. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no I've, <laughs> I've shared a lot of miles with Brian. I've shared a lot of campfires with Mike. Um, yeah. The stuff never gets old. You never get tired of talking about it. Um, it no, I think um, I'm going to go cruise right after this. Actually. It's looking good. <laughs> Awesome. And I'm coming back to Arizona, you guys. All I just right. let you know. Good deal. I've got unfinished business in Arizona and I I, I love it. Um as much as any other field herper loves Arizona, I love it too. Uh, so. Arizona's just it's a magical place. There's so much diversity here, so much public land. Uh, and it's why I stayed, you know. Yeah. Well, um, what did we not cover? I mean, this is this is supposed to be kind of a one oh one podcast, let people know that well field herping is a thing and, and get an idea about how to do it. What did we leave out? <sighs> well, there's I mean, a social the, aspect of it. Um yeah. what social media mm-hmm. uh, <clears throat> like any like any activity these days, so it has a social media component. Um so that's that's um that can be great um you can make a lot of friendships you can get a lot of information but social media is also tricky too right um it's it's, it comes with it comes with a a price to pay sometimes Mm -hmm. uh, in in the community not not everybody's uh uh, you know not everybody's open and friendly but um but there's a social media aspect of it that i think people have to work out It's, it's it's probably good to 
join herp related groups on social media and see what's going on. Um, probably, you know, it's, it's sort of like, um, it's our classroom these days. And, you know, you, you don't want to make too many mistakes, social mistakes, because you want people to talk with you and get along with you. So it's also uh, a social thing. Most, most people, navigate social media okay so they're able to to you know to to function in in like a herp group or a birding group or whatever so they know enough not to to make too many mistakes but if you're not sure you know it's a great place to lurk and sort of learn just by watching what other people do and you can learn from the people that do things right and you can learn from the people that do things wrong so but i think that's that stuff is not going away it's always going to be a component of this so in fact, in in the book, we have a chapter, Ethics and Etiquette, Rights and Responsibilities. And we don't just cover stuff in the field. We cover, you know, how to how to navigate your way in, in the social media world of, of field herping, too. Because um, it's it's kind of important to, if you want to establish good relationships, you need, you know, the problem is if you if you it's it's a reputational thing, like mm-hmm. many like many things, whether you're you collect cars or you, you know, like or you're bowling or whatever. I'm not going to use the birding thing again. I'm, I'm, it's just getting overdone. Whatever it is, you, you gotta, you know, you gotta get along with people and you can turn it into a positive experience if you do it right. Yeah. Same thing. So. Yeah. In Arizona, that's tricky just because so many, you know, it's there because it's such a hot spot for herping. It's, it's, there's a lot of arguments and a lot of bad things that happen <laughs> on social media. And I would say if I'm, you know, just, Tread carefully, be humble, realize that if you're there asking questions, it's because you don't know everything. And a lot of the times that somebody tells you something that sounds like just some obscure nonsense about the, the timing of something or the way something you should do or shouldn't do or, or sharing locations, all those all those old things. Right. It's because they learned the hard way. Yeah. And you're not going to you're going to eventually convergently come back to the same spot and you can shortcut it by just listening to those those people and they, they may be coming off a little bit rude, but they're probably right a lot of the times. And if I'm looking at the people that in, in my inbox that message me, uh, and I think just because of my work, I get, a, I get a lot of messages about this. The ones that I respond to with actually useful information are the, are there, I've met some really great people that are really new to it. And they just they start right off the bat by being very respectful to the animals and being very ethical and careful about the way they handle information. And just they're not coming at it from a place of self-importance. They truly seem to want to 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 know about the animals and get better at it. And, um, you know, and and as a result, they're going to they're going to have much better experiences. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, gentlemen, before we go, uh, just one one last request from both of you. Mike, I would like you to tell folks just a little bit about your your podcast so when they do get excited about this and they do get their feet wet, they have a next step, a next place to go. Um, and then from you, Brian, um, let's, let's assume somebody's having a birthday party and there's a bunch of kids running around barefoot and lo and behold, there's a big old Western Diamondback rattlesnake coiled up under the slide. Who, who do they call? Okay. Um, Go ahead, Brian. uh, Yeah. So my business is named Rattlesnake Solutions. Uh, It's rattlesnakesolutions.com. If you're in Phoenix, uh, 480-237-9975. 
and call and describe that. And we will come and take the snake and maybe a piece of cake from that. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And then we'll tell you why the snake is there and tell you to put kids on your your shoes on your kids because you're in the desert and, you know, all the good stuff. I'm going to add as well. Uh, There's other rattlesnake removal businesses. There's other wildlife uh, removal businesses. They're not all Brian Hughes at Rattlesnake Solutions. Brian genuinely cares about these animals. He genuinely cares about getting them in a good habitat where they can get a new start and not get in trouble anymore. Um, And he does a lot of educational programs with his business as well. So if you ever hear about, about Rattlesnake Solutions, given a presentation at one of the Oh, nature centers around the valley. You don't want to miss it. Brian's got an ex- unbelievably impressive collection of, of rattlesnakes from around Arizona. So you get to see them live. It's a pretty neat deal. Thanks. Awesome. Michael, how about that podcast? Uh, podcast is called So Much Pingle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the name. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I, I was it. It's all Brian's fault because he told me that that was my brand. So because uh, I was so much Pingle on Twitter and so much Pingle on Instagram, so it's like, well, okay, that makes sense. So it may be too much Pingle for some people, but it's the so <laughs> so much Pingle Herpetology podcast. Um, started in 2019. It is about herpetology. So it it, it has field herping in it, but I also talk to scientists. I talk to conservation people. I talk to anybody connected with herpetology in any, any way, except for um, the, the the captive bred thing, the, the, I don't, I don't do the captive animal thing because that's, they've got their own podcasts and Mm -hmm. that's, that's too wide a channel for me. Uh, And I've had Brian on the show talking about rattlesnake solutions. And another interesting thing, and I I just want to bring this up, too, is that I also talked to uh, Dr. Uh, Heather Bateman uh, from Arizona, Arizona State. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, About some work that uh, she was doing with some other people and with Brian uh, on breaking down uh, data, uh, sociological data on uh, rattlesnakes and humans in in the Phoenix area, uh, which is uh, have an episode of that too. It's very cool because Brian takes data on all of this and keeps good data on not just what kind of rattlesnake was found, but where and what the situation was mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. So they're, they, uh, he, he and, uh, and Dr. Bateman and other people are really building up this big data set uh, to, to kind of break it, break down rattlesnake human interactions in the Phoenix area, which is very cool. Yeah. So that's the kind of people I like to talk to. Uh, I like to bring scientists in. I like to bring what I call the Herber Bros in. We talk about some of our our cool trips, and so I I kind of break it up as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Well, so. I'll vouch for it. It's a fascinating podcast, and and I really well, enjoy. Well, you've it. been on it too. Yeah, right. yeah, even chumps like me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. I'll, I'll uh, talk to anybody. <laughs> I uh, I appreciate your friendships, and I appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Good to see you both. Yeah, I'll see see both of you guys again sometime here. All right. See you, fellas. Well, I hope you enjoyed that maybe unique episode to some of you. And uh, I hope you are inspired to get out and enjoy some of these unusual animals. Again, Arizona has, you know, some of the highest diversity of of reptiles and amphibians uh, in the United States, you know, whether it be 
a variety of rattlesnakes to king snakes to milk snakes even a couple salamanders some great frogs turtles and you know hell who can forget gila monsters you know so much exciting stuff out there and so many interesting habitats to explore so this is just another way to get out and enjoy our great outdoors here in this this beautiful state so with that i will be back with you back in arizona here in two weeks so please don't hesitate to reach out in the meantime say hello give me your comments and suggestions ratings and reviews on whatever platform you are listening to our podcast on are certainly appreciated with that i will see you in two weeks take care